Why don't you sit on the chair like a normal person? Show some respect. If you look at me, look. I'm covered in your fruit punch, your Kool-Aid, whatever you drink. Yeah, warm and sticky, just like I like them. <laughs> Let's get together. I say it first. We all love fun. And it's time for Kill Me Cast. Yeah, it's time for Kill Me Cast. Welcome to Kill Me Cast. Here is your host, Francis Rizzo III. Thanks, Bernard. Welcome to all the Val Pals listening out there to a new episode of Kilmer Cast. I'm your host, Francis Rizzo III, and I'm here to talk about the films of Val Kilmer, one of the most truly delightful American film actors of the modern era. On this episode, we'll be talking about Seven Below, a 2012 film that can be described as horror for all the wrong reasons. Joining us to chat about the film and Kilmer's role in it is one of the co-hosts of the What Were They Thinking podcast and a neighbor from the North, Brendan. How are you doing today, Brendan? Uh, I'm doing great. Uh, and then... And then I watched Seven Below, so. <laughs> Sorry to ruin your day like that. <laughs> it must be nice having all that moral high ground you have up there in Canada right now over us in the States. Uh, yeah, I'm enjoying it a little bit too much. I try to, I try to like, you know, level it out a little bit sometimes. It's like, you got to stop bragging that you can walk around outside. <laughs> it's the little things in life, right? That's right. Especially right now. Jeez. Oh, absolutely. There's very little in life right now. <laughs> For those who aren't listeners, can you talk a bit about what were they thinking? Yeah, well, we talk about, uh, and I'm assuming this is this is why we're talking about this movie. We talk about uh, <laughs> bad to questionable movies on that show, uh, Nathan and myself. And yeah, just every week we just tackle a different one. And I think that fits in nicely with Seven Below. Yes, that's absolutely why you're here. <laughs> I don't know what it says about me, but a lot of the films you cover on your show are actually favorites of mine. <laughs> you know, if I'm, I have a problem, like I love Hackers and Spice World and True Beverly. Oh, I mean, you just named like three movies that totally qualified for the show, but that I still had fun watching. Do you find it harder to talk about films like that when they're films you have affection for? I don't know. No, well, I mean, it's kind of a tightrope because you also don't want to get one that's so bad that all you're doing is just <laughs> just egregiously dumping on it the whole time. And then on the other hand, I don't also think sometimes I'm like, is this too good? So mm. I don't know. I, I don't find it's too bad. I just try to find like the dumb things. And then at the end, I'm like, oh, by the way, I still like it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, in the last episode, we were talking about the difference between good films and fun films and how some people, they'll shy away from a fun film because it's supposedly not good. And mm. I find myself, I'm really gravitating to the fun films, especially now. Yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't need to watch, you know, Schindler's List right now. No. It's a great movie, but I mean, going through some shit right now. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> you know, I have to say, after doing as many episodes, you, you've done over 100 episodes at this point. The fact you haven't covered a Kilmer film yet is pretty impressive. I actually thought about that when, when you emailed me because I was like, have we done one? And we haven't. And I think there's maybe one coming up in like like the next little while. But I yeah, I'm, I'm actually shocked because, I mean, there are quite a few to choose from. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. As I've been doing these episodes, I've been learning that there are quite a few Kilmer films that could easily qualify for your show. Some real messes. You can't do Tombstone all the time. No. <laughs> I Actually, that's why I set up the order of the films that we were doing on this show, because I realized quickly if I started at the beginning where all most of his biggest films are in his beginning, Top Gun and Real Genius and all that, and just kept going we'd have no reason to keep doing the show after a while. Nobody would listen to the show to hear about, you know, films like The Super and stuff like that. So I figure I'll mix it up 
I'll do good film, bad film, good film, bad film. And you got the lucky pick of doing a bad film. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> so before we punish ourselves by remembering the fact that we actually watched this film, we've got to catch up on the latest scoop on Val Kilmer. Let's find out the latest from the Kilmer News Network. This story comes from Uproxx. As Mike Redman reports that Val Kilmer is coming to DC Fandom and Batman fans want to know what it means. For those who don't know what DC Fandom is, it's going to be like a virtual Comic-Con that's coming up uh, towards the end of August. And they released a huge list of stars that are going to attend virtually and just massive names. But one name that seems to be popping up a lot on social media is Val Kilmer. Kilmer's presence at the fan event is surprising for a variety of reasons. The actor has never really spoke fondly about doing Batman Forever. And he obviously had a very bad relationship with the director, Joel Schumacher, who referred to him as psychotic and that he would said he would never work with him again. And there's also the matter that Schumacher just recently died. So it's kind of going to be a little awkward if he's talking about Batman Forever. But what's interesting now is that there's rumors of a Schumacher cut of Batman Forever, a longer, darker version of the film. And now that Kilmer's on this DC fandom roster, fans are trying to put two and two together. And thinking, hey, maybe there's going to be a new longer cut of Batman Forever coming out on the heels of the Snyder cut that's coming to HBO Max. What do you think about that? Well, I think it's funny that now we're doing the release the blank cut so much now. Because as soon as that Snyder cut became a real thing, Mm -hmm. immediately everyone's like, oh, I can make this happen for everything. (laughs) (laughs) Because isn't there like now there's like release the air cut, Suicide Squad, and now this? I had no idea. I See, I thought this was the Schumacher cut. Like, I thought this was the version he wanted. (laughs) Yeah, supposedly there's a much longer version with the scene where Batman confronts a giant human-sized bat and all this stuff. And there are deleted scenes on the DVD and Blu-ray of Batman Forever that were cut from the film. But supposedly there was a much like a three-hour long cut, which... Maybe he's embracing it a little bit more because I do know like a friend of mine actually bought one of his paintings because he did like a painting of like him as Batman. Mm. So I don't know if it's like that's got something to do with him maybe embracing it a little bit more. But it's a really it's a really I mean, you look at it and you're like, yeah, Val Kilmer painted that. Like (laughs) (laughs) the interesting thing is that he has started to embrace a bit some of his past. He's now he's going to be in the new Top Gun film whenever that comes out. He's talking about. Well, he's not talking about this talk that he's going to do a Willow series for Disney+. Plus. So maybe Batman's he's going to come back as Batman again. And I know there was, there's been a lot of talk about a younger Batman in some of the films. So maybe he'll play an older Bruce Wayne who's mentoring a younger Batman. Yeah, I mean, I, and, and I don't mean this out of disrespect. Like, I honestly don't even know because I know I saw an interview with him like recently-ish. But can, I thought he like has to use a, like a thing to talk now. Does he know it? No, he doesn't sound like himself. That's for sure. He had a tracheotomy okay. and it's made his yeah. voice very rough. And he does not sound like the, the Val Kilmer that we know and love from the you know other films that he's done. He recently put out a film called Pay Dirt. It's probably the most he's spoken in a film since the uh, surgery. He's done a couple other ones, but this is the most he's spoken in a film. And it's it's a little hard to listen to. Okay. But he is supposedly training himself to get back his voice. I don't know if it's going to work. But he is working on it, and so maybe this is his goal: is to come back in the Batman film. I mean, I don't know if if I don't know if you had this similar experience, but I knew nothing about like his health problems until I saw the Snowman, and I was like, "That is not Val Kilmer's voice." <laughs> no, yeah, that's a that's a big thing. He's done a couple of films since the surgery, and talk is that he's been dubbed in some of them, especially the yeah. Snowman, obviously. 
Yeah, one of the most obvious ones. <laughs> yeah. The one the film I mentioned before, The Super, he plays a guy who speaks in kind of a Russian gravelly accent. But the problem is that in a lot of the film, his voice doesn't match his lips. And so there's questions of, is this a dub or is it just a low budget film and they didn't really do good sync sound? Yeah. It's very possible that it's just him being dubbed, but his name will certainly draw people. That's for sure. And that's when he, that's why he's doing these films now. People are putting him in them just to be a draw. For sure. Yeah. So now that we're up to date on all things Kilmer, why don't we go back in time? Gather round as we put Kilmer in context. Seven Below was released on DVD and Blu-ray on April 17th, 2012 in America. Looking back, it was certainly a simple, simpler, better time for pretty much every one of us. It's basically an understatement, I think. Except maybe those in the Secret Service. They were dealing with some issues with the scandal over its agents who were uh, seeing sex workers in Colombia. That didn't go over well. Just a week earlier before this film was released, the Marvel blockbuster The Avengers made its premiere in theaters. Imagine that in theaters. That was a different time. We could actually watch a place that's not our home. (laughs) (laughs) The Beastie Boys were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Hologram Tupac Shakur made his debut at the Coachella Music Festival. And Girls were premiered on HBO. So all in all, a much better time in our history than it is now. Looking at the entertainment landscape, the Billboard chart was led by Fun, period. Uh, I don't remember that band. They, uh, I think so. Like vaguely. Yeah, they did a song in collaboration with Janelle Monet called We Are Young. Yes, I remember that. They were number one on the charts. And then number two was Boyfriend by Justin Bieber. I can say with complete honesty, before checking it out for the show, I'd never heard the song in my life. Total mystery to me. I don't know about you, if you're a big Justin Bieber fan. Listen, you guys, I know he's Canadian, but you know, you can have him if you want. It's fine. I'm, I'm willing to send him back. Except <laughs> his love of hockey is the only thing that redeems him for me, being a big hockey fan myself. This song does nothing for me. I do enjoy the fact that he referenced Buzz Lightyear at one point in the song, which is just ridiculous for a song about you know, romancing a woman. I'm like, yeah, you really are not getting away from that fact that you seem like a child, but hey, whatever. And in light of you being our guest today, our guest from the North, uh, it was the number one song in Canada at the time this film came out. So you guys really embraced it and went, oh, Canada. (laughs) I apologize on behalf of my country. I seem to do that a lot lately. So it's nice to hear somebody else do that. That's the exact reason you set that up. I get it. I understand. <laughs> Makes sense. In third place was somebody I used to know by Gautier. Do you remember Gautier? He had oh, song. I remember that song. I remember that video. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, he did that song with Kimbra, who most people don't remember. She was the, the female singer in the song. She is so good. Uh, she has so many other big songs that people don't really recognize. A song called Warrior she did with Mark Foster and A-Track. It was really fantastic. The thing that's weird, it's, it's such a weird song to be a big hit on the radio. It's just a very downbeat, melancholy song. And you don't hear that kind of thing on the radio very much nowadays. And this is only eight years ago. And even then it was odd for the, for the radio. Yeah, and it strikes me as one of those songs, too, that like you get more out of by watching the video alongside it. So it, it, that, that does surprise me. Actually, looking back, it's like that is a very strange song to have made its way into the mainstream. And the interesting thing is that he never did another album. That was it. One and done. Oh, wow. Yeah. Huh. Maybe he made enough money and just said, hey, forget it. And I don't need to do any more. Uh, or he couldn't think he could top that, which is it's a big song. You know, I'm sure it's hard to look at that song and the success it had and say, now, how do I top that? Yeah. I mean, a lot of people, too, they just I guess they just don't like the life, too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Touring. Maybe he just like you said, he probably made enough money from that one song to pack up his things and call it a day. <laughs> yeah. If only everybody could do that. It'd be a very nice life. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike so many of the recent episodes we've done, the rest of the top 20 is pretty much everything you've recognized 
I always wonder, I'm, I would like to consider myself an adopted Canadian because I love Canada so much. I'm a big fan of all the, the culture and, and hockey and everything like that. I, we go vac- vacation in Canada as much as we can. What's interesting is that there is not a lot of difference between the charts between America and Canada. And I always thought maybe there is a sense in Canada, you know, in my perspective of Canada from America, is that Canada is very protective of their Canadian culture. And like, that's why I see like in like McDonald's logos, they add a maple leaf and, you know, all these, everything is very much embraced the Canada of it. And so I thought maybe more Canadian artists would be in the charts, but it seems like it's pretty much the same across the board. Yeah. It's, it's also like, I don't know, like we have a lot of things here that I feel like don't translate or maybe we don't really push to translate in the States. Like, I mean, I, I'm sure, I'm sure you're, I'm, you're probably aware and I'm sure there are some Americans that are aware of things like trailer park boys mm-hmm. and uh, letter Kenny and stuff like that. But I feel like those aren't like big in the States. I feel like that's a mostly Canadian thing that maybe kind of trickled its way over the border. Yeah. There's definitely for the comedy fans, comedy fans find Canada to be a little haven of, of fun stuff. Stuff like uh, I think Kim's Convenience is a Canadian show, right? Yeah, and um, well, I, I don't know if it's a Canadian show, but I mean, Shit's Creek, run by, I mean, created by Eugene Levy, who is Canadian. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have SCTV from back in the day, so oh, yeah. lots of things like that. But yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. It's weird. It, sometimes I mention stuff like that to someone in the, in America, and they have no idea what I'm talking about. So <laughs> yeah, I think we, just, I think we're exposed to a lot more American culture than Americans are exposed to Canadian culture, maybe. Yeah, and that's what happens when you're egotistical and, you know, like America, you push it everywhere, I guess. You know, it's, it's fun. Um, we have in, in by uh, where I live, we have one Tim Hortons. It's a tiny little Tim Hortons in a gas station. <laughs> and it, I treasure it so much because it's my one little piece of Canada right here in America. So I wish you had more of that. You know, we could uh, really enjoy some Timbits once in a while. <laughs> Meanwhile, we have Starbucks everywhere, just yep. like you guys. Well, I mean, I mean, it's definitely Tim Hortons and then Starbucks, but we do have quite more than you would expect, I guess. Well, we talked a little bit about television. On television at the time of this film's release, American Idol held down the first and second slots in the ratings, followed by Modern Family, ABC's only show in the top 10. Although Fox led the way with American Idol, CBS was dominant. Half the top 10 shows were from them, including the inexplicable 8.78 million people watching Two Broke Girls, which is a show I'll never understand. Are you a fan of Two Broke Girls? Did you ever watch that? I I, I remember seeing the promo on TV, <laughs> and they they I said that's their best joke that they're gonna preview <laughs> for this show. <laughs> I don't think I'm in. Yeah, All, I do. I as as a big Saturday Night Live fan, they almost had me when I found out that Garrett Morris was in the cast, but mm. I couldn't commit. I couldn't. I do, do like Jennifer Coolidge, uh, but. No, I watched one episode, well, part of one episode, and I was I checked out pretty quickly on that one. I'm not a big fan of like obnoxious laugh track shows in general. Like yeah. it, it really hinders a show for me. And it's funny because I grew up on those shows, and yeah, yet I I just don't get them anymore. I, I cannot enjoy them. I just feel like they don't play to jokes anymore. It's just they put the laugh track in that this is where you laugh, even if it's mm-hmm. not funny. Like you see all these things where they take out the laugh track and it's like the most depressing, dark thing you'll ever watch. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I love those things like uh, like Garfield without John, those where you remove the com- this one element and suddenly it all becomes very surreal and dark. I love things like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Of the top 25 shows on TV that week, 14 were on CBS. It just totally dominated television. In Canada, it was a little different. For obvious reasons, American Idol was nowhere to be found. <laughs> you guys, I guess, don't watch American Idol where it's not showing up there. I mean, we had Canadian Idol later, so I'm not going to celebrate too much. <laughs> 
you did have uh, leading the way Amazing Race, followed by Survivor and the Big Bang Theory. Uh, and number four in the ratings was the NHL playoffs round one. So, you know, there's <laughs> our little bit of Canada right there in the charts. And, you know, I thought it was interesting that some things don't change because of the top 10 Canadian shows, six were shows that show on, eight, on CBS in America. Uh, I know you have uh, things like City TV. Is that a cable channel? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's something you can get with the, pretty much the least amount of cable channels possible we i mean we also have a lot of things where i'll be watching like we have a channel here called global but if the show is they'll they'll obviously they'll sometimes air shows at the same time on global as they do in like say nbc in the states Mm -hmm. so what'll happen sometimes it'll actually cut over what'll happen is i'll actually be watching nbc like i'll actually go to the nbc channel but because global here is airing the same thing it'll switch the feed over to global some it suddenly just cuts to a different channel um and then as soon as the show is over it goes back to nbc i I don't understand i guess it's like a canadian content rule or something most likely yeah you definitely like i said the protecting the culture even though you're showing american television doesn't make much sense at that point i mean the only thing i can think of is that they're canadian commercials right so that's that's Mm -hmm. probably it are there any shows that that are purely canadian that reach those kind of you know you mentioned letter kenny and uh trailer park boys are there any other shows that reach that kind of level of cultural impact that the American shows that are imported do? Wow. I mean, those two right there, especially Trailer Park Boys, especially on the East Coast of Canada, like you can't go anywhere without hearing someone do an impression. I mean, it, not as much now, but like last five, 10 years, like you'd hear someone quote it all the time. It's, I don't know, the comparison maybe to hearing people say Bazinga all the time in the States. Mm, okay. <laughs> so it's it's awful. I don't particularly <laughs> like it. I'll probably get some heat because I know a lot of people out here do like it quite a bit. But I just I can never really jive with it. I tried watching the movies too, and I I don't know. It's okay, yeah. I guess. Yeah, it's it's right down the middle in my opinion. But you know, yeah. I'm coming from a different perspective for sure. I mean, I'm sure there's people here that watch it that are like, oh, I know a Ricky and I know a real life <laughs> Bubbles, and I don't. So maybe that's why. I don't... <laughs> yeah, you don't have that connection to it. Understandable. And there's a lot of shows on American TV that are the same for me, where I do not understand what the appeal of the show is to people. But they're like, mm-hmm. oh, it's, it speaks to me. I'm like, no, nah, not to me. <laughs> I'm glad for you. <laughs> <laughs> so on the New York Times bestseller list, E.L. James continued to hold down the top spot with Fifty Shades of Grey. And it's fifth week on top early in its 28-week stay at number one. Uh, I don't understand that at all. But on the nonfiction side, Rachel Maddow's first book, Drift, which covers the changing nature of America's declared wars, kicked off a five-week run at number one. I really can't see myself reading either of these books at any, any point. I'm just trying to limit my righteous anger. And so Drift is right out. I can't read about military stuff in America. It just drives me nuts. And I saw the Fifty Shades of Grey movie, and there, I feel no need to get into that world at all. Did you ever read any of these books? Do you read American books? Do they really break through in, in Canada? I'm not the biggest reader in the world, honestly. I used to be. I'm just watching stuff now, and I know <laughs> it makes me sound like I don't know what it makes me sound like, but I, I don't. Yeah, I don't read a lot. I I did see the first Fifty Shades movie as well, and that's only because I was working at a theater at the time, and it was free. Okay. And it was uh, something. Yeah, this is something I don't really want to. Con- didn't continue. No, <laughs> Did, I can't. Ever watch the sequels? It. Nope. No, I felt no <laughs> I compunction. <was> <laughs> Although it, it did have some hilarious, unintentionally hilarious lines, mm. I didn't. I didn't need to watch six hours of it. So no, we're good. no, definitely not. It's not. It's definitely not a Lord of the Rings. <laughs> oh my god! At the box office at the time of this film's release, The Hunger Games continued its reign at number one four weeks after its release, but it wasn't beating off the most strongest competition. 
which is why it was still on top. After all, number two was the Farrelly Brothers update of The Three Stooges. And that film just barely held off the wide release of The Cabin in the Woods, which I, I enjoy Cabin in the Woods. I don't know if it holds up to multiple viewings, but it's a good film. Yeah, that's that's a good one. I, I remember that didn't do super well, and I don't think the marketing was really good behind it, but it, yeah, no. that's a great movie. I think it was just too confusing for people to understand because they had to hide so much of the film, you know, because you yeah. don't want to give it away in the marketing. I do feel like it should have done a lot better in theaters, but when you can't tell people what it's about. I mean, thankfully they didn't give it away. I mean, it wasn't like a castaway situation where you see mm-hmm. Tom Hanks on the plane <laughs> in the trailer. <laughs> Yeah, better than not ruin the film and have people not watch it until home video. But, you know, it it did fine for a film that is probably a little more cerebral than a lot, even even a horror film that's full of gore and and special effects. It's a little more cerebral than most of the stuff that uh, was coming out at the time. Not Far Behind Cabin was the 3D re-release of Titanic, which earned $15 in its third week. Like I said, the competition was not strong at this time. Oddly, there was a lot of 3D re-releases at this time. I don't rem- I know I remember there that being a craze at, at one point. I don't know if it, you can tell me if that was a thing in Canada, if people cared about 3D films in Canada. But it was. there was a lot of films that were being re- re-released in America like that. I don't think... I mean, where I am anyway on the East Coast, like, we, we don't... We, we have kind of limited uh, screens out here. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we have one theater... I mean, where I am now, we have one theater with 10 screens, and that's... Mm-hmm it unless you go to another city so a lot of times when these 3d re-releases come out we we don't get them at all like we Mm. don't even just don't don't have the room to push aside (laughs) you know actual movies coming out uh i think maybe titanic is one of the ones that slipped through for like a week or two but for the most part i don't think we even get them rounding out top 10 at the time was american reunion wrath of the titans Uh, again like i said a very weak lineup 21 jump street which was good it was in one of its later weeks of the release mirror mirror Oh, is that the is that the other Snow White movie? Yeah, that was the one by uh, the guy who did the the cell. Right, right. Very, very. Uh, it, it's a pretty film, but mm-hmm. it wasn't. I don't think it was a very good film. Lockout, which was the Guy Pierce sci-fi flick. Um, yeah, made a very weak debut that week. I mean, that was its first <laughs> week out, and it was uh, number nine on the chart. So, oh, it, it didn't hang around very long. It's actually a really interesting film, though. Yeah, I, I mean, it's essentially Escape from New York, but it's pretty mm-hmm. great. <laughs> yeah, it's it's well done. And then wrapping things up is The Lorax at number 10. When you look at the top 10, only two films weren't sequels, remakes, or reboots. And that's just a bummer. That's And that's in 2012, you said? Yeah, that's eight years ago, and it was still... <laughs> it hasn't changed. No, it, hasn't it has not. At, all. Yeah. It, at that time, also in theaters, was the re-release of Titanic, like I said before, Casablanca re-release, Star Wars Episode One re-release, and Beauty and the Beast re-release. I'm sorry, did you say Star Wars Episode One re-release? Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, oh, all those were three re-releases of the film, uh, except for Casablanca. Casablanca obviously was not a 3D re-release, although I'd love oh, to watch that. <laughs> if only. Well, who, who was striving to get Phantom Menace back in theaters? That's what I don't understand. If I had to guess, Lucas. Oh, okay. you know, and fair enough. Know, if anybody would, it would be him. <laughs> I gotta see. The, I gotta see Jar Jar in 3D. Make it a special edition to make it even worse. Like, yeah. you know, what I thought was interesting as I'm doing the research for this is that Canada's box office is actually lumped in with America's box office when it comes to domestic releases. Like, there's not a separate top ten unless you see that where you are, but going through the listing it all it was all combined into one i didn't know that they combined them we do actually have uh, i have seen before canada uh, top 10 box office but i didn't know that when you look at the u.s box office that it's it's both yeah that doesn't surprise me because the canada i mean at number one i think generally it's probably between like 15 and 20 million dollars so 
it's i mean we have like a tenth of your population so (laughs) do some movies seem to do better in canada than the u.s in your opinion well, I know there's movies that do worse because I know inexplicably the Tyler Perry movies are huge hits in the States. Yes, yes, they are. In Canada, they barely open. So, I mean, <laughs> that's a big difference. We have a lot of, uh, I know we have a lot of movies. Sometimes we get movies that are filmed here. We actually get them a little bit before America hmm. and then they're released very limited. So it's mostly like Canadian born stuff. So I don't know if you've heard of a movie called Bone Cop, Bad Cop. No, I have not. Okay. So that's a, that's a movie that was a, it was a pretty big hit here. I think it was number one, like quite a few for quite a few weeks. Wow. And then I remember someone said it went to the States on like a very limited release, like maybe like LA or New York or something. And that's it, like two weeks or something. You said bone cop, bad cop? Yeah, like bone cop, bad cop. Like it's uh, like French and English. Oh, bone. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> not, a, not, a, not, a, not a skeleton cop. That's what I'm picturing. I'm like, what kind of, this is like a, a you know, army of darkness kind of thing. <laughs> I I'm in. Dead cop, living cop. Let's do it. <laughs> Sounds good to me. We've talked about the film in its context, so why don't we get into Seven Below? I know you don't want to. I don't want to really, but we got to do oh. it. Kilmer cast. Got to break this down. Got to break this down. So the writer and director of Seven Below is Kevin Carraway. He shares the co-writing credits with Lawrence Sarah. Seven Below is the second of four feature films Carraway has released to date, the last of which came out in 2015. He has another one that's re- listed as in pre-production. The four films, you can describe them as indie genre films. That's pretty much the best way to talk about them. And they have an average score of 3.4 on IMDb, which is not good. No, no. no. (laughs) He has managed to draw in some impressive names, though, on his projects, including Christian Slater, Vinnie Jones, Stone Cold Steve Austin, and Michael Jai White. I mean, I always wonder when I see these films, and I've seen a lot of them now as part of Kilmer cast, where... This indie film, you never have heard of the maker of the film, and yet there's these big names, and they're in it for five minutes. And I was like, how did that negotiation happen? Yeah, I, yeah, I, I wrote it all the time, too. It started when I started seeing movie titles with, like you said, big names that I've never heard of. And like, did that movie come out? Like, I didn't, <laughs> I don't think the concept of VOD really, like, came into my head. And mm-hmm. I actually heard, you mentioned Christian Slater, I actually heard a story about someone working on a movie with Christian Slater, and... I think they were like, they were between scenes and he was asking him like, well, what's, we should, we should talk about our scene here, like our motivation and stuff. And Christian apparently just looked at him and said, don't worry about it. It's a cash grab. <laughs> That's gotta be a real bummer. You know, if you're like this guy yeah. who's got this movie. Yeah. Just a pat on the back. Don't worry. CG. Don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I buy a lot of dollar Blu-rays and DVDs that I find in like our dollar stores here. And they're all like that. I picked up one today with Christina Ricci and John Cusack. And I was like, this movie never came out. And I've never heard of it in my life. And But you know, for a buck, I'll give it a shot. But I'm sure other people have spent way more on it and came away way more disappointed than I will with my dollar spending. I see things like that on the Prime all the time, too. And I'm like, mm. you know, I'm fascinated that I've never heard of this. But do I, it's, do I really want to waste like 95 minutes? It's hard to justify it. It really is, especially when you get into, and again, I repeat myself a lot where I say, I've come into a lot of this on KilmerCast, is that I run into films where I'm like, oh, I'm going to get to watch Val Kilmer in a film for 15 minutes, and then I've got to watch everybody else in the film for the rest of it. And it's never like he pops up somewhere in the middle. It's like the name is like at the beginning, and then they're done. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I got my money, and I'm out of (laughs) here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, obviously... 
you know, we're get get into it in more detail here and break it down. But I I would guess that he did this movie for one day, one day of shooting at the most. Yeah, he it was you know very small sets and he didn't have to go very far, so he probably yeah. shot them rapid order. I, I wouldn't even be surprised if it was half a day, honestly. <laughs> like, <laughs> two two the, different locations, I think. With some of the performances, I would definitely say that this was a one take film where. <laughs> <laughs> just keep it rolling keep it rolling uh we got it we got to move on guys we'll fix it in post the film opens up and we've got five production and distribution credits that run oh one minute and 14 seconds that's never a good sign <laughs> there and all of these logos are terrible like are. These, <laughs> i mean i wrote them down it's like xl raider e fish entertainment <laughs> barking fish entertainment <laughs> Yeah, two fish ones. I was like, come on, you guys got to talk to each other and, and come up with different names. <laughs> Is one of them like a subsidiary? And they were just like, if we if we space it out, it'll make it look like more more logos. And longer film. <laughs> fill, up those, fill up that time frame. It does pad it, yeah. The opening is a period opening, which I was like, am I watching the right film when I started watching this film? Because it didn't seem right. Uh, we got a dark and stormy night and some sweet old timey music. And two people boning down back in the day. <laughs> I was like, whoa. And the, the, the most passionless sex scene I've ever seen. Yeah, they were not really uh, active lovers. <laughs> like, she is just kind of sitting there <laughs> and slowly swaying back and forth. <laughs> well, I th- maybe we'll learn why. We learn a bit later why that might be. Maybe she has to keep it down. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> true, true. Got to keep quiet about it. A woman bursts in and she's quickly smacked down by her husband. I was like, whoa, what's going on here? Apparently she knows all about this guy's infidelity, but she didn't want it happening in the house. So she's upset about the fact that he's brought his girlfriend here to the house where you know, his wife and his children live, which is, uh, I would say, understandable. I mean, she's pretty forgiving to let him do it in general. Yeah. Just, not, just don't do it inside, dear. She has some rules. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, is it too much to ask that you don't bring your whore into the house? Can you keep your infidelity to the Holiday Inn? The old woman says they can leave. I think it's like the leave and the wife is like, you know we can't leave. Yeah, they're, they're basically stuck there uh, with the family. Again, assuming at the time frame that she couldn't have her own life away from her husband, who I assume has some money. It's a nice house. It's a big, huge house that they live in. So I'm assuming he's relatively rich and she can't walk away. There is some heavy sigh acting at this point. <laughs> at one point, the actress who plays the wife has three straight sides with no dialogue in between. It, I couldn't believe that they actually allowed this to happen in both the shooting and the editing of this film. I'm, I'm guessing it's a it's a situation where uh, somebody forgot to feed her her line. <laughs> and then just looking around. G- Gary, do, do you get a copy of the script there? <laughs> What's the character's name again? <laughs> <laughs> Move on. Yeah, it's... There, there are so many awkward pauses and mumbling. I had to find subtitles. I, half the time, I didn't know what was being said. <laughs> it is very hard to understand some of the dialogue. So the uh, wife and husband have two ch- young daughters who aren't sleeping. The mother comes down the stairs for some reason. Uh, I thought they were getting ready for bed, but she comes down the stairs. And Sean, we find out his name, the boy is standing, I guess their son. It's not really clear at the moment that he's standing by the front door. And the mother comes down to ask him what's wrong, and he stabs her to death with a pretty serious-looking knife. 
a knife that I'm pretty sure is anachronistic for the time frame of this film. Yeah, it looked very modern to the point where I was like, ooh, is it a time travel movie? <laughs> I'm pretty sure that that knife was a Rambo knife and that was not working for this time frame of this movie. <laughs> yeah, he's like going back in time to kill like some dictator's family or something before he's born or something like that. It's a Terminator. It's a new, new, new take on the Terminator. <laughs> there you go. So he follows up stabbing his mom by slicing the old lady's throat. And then he stabs his father and then he kills his sisters. And that's the start of the film. I was like, whoa, we are really getting into it. And going into this, not knowing anything about the plot, because I went into this completely cold. I just knew that I just saw the the very misleading poster and the title. And I thought that I was like, I was like, oh, is this like about the Arctic? Like, are people stuck in the ice? Yeah. So having seen this opening scene, I'm like, oh, I really hope Val Kilmer is the kid all grown up. Oh, that would be good. (laughs) That would have been an interesting movie. And he's not just like, like a this. psychopath. No, it's, <laughs> that's not the case. No, because now we get into the credits and we find out that this is the McKnight family and they're all in the newspapers because of this murder. And somebody really learned After Effects to do this opening credit sequence because there is so much glitch effect and blood splatter in this opening. Like somebody watched House on Haunted Hill and said, yeah, I got to get that for my movie <laughs> and went ahead and, and tried to do it, but didn't have the budget to make it happen. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it gives it the it gives it the look of like you're watching and you're like, OK, you you made it even more low budget by trying to make it look big budget, but you can't accomplish it with the special effects that you have. <laughs> yeah, it just seems cheesier than it could have been if you just went lo fi, you know, just throw these papers yeah. around in the house and, and shoot them, you know, instead of trying to do yeah. all this weird stuff with the uh, glitch effects, which. Again, we just started with a period piece. Right. Take notes from one of the best opening sequences of all time, a hard ticket to Hawaii, mm. and uh, and just copy that. Yeah, put some boxes around and write on them. <laughs> <laughs> I love that movie. <laughs> I wish you found so humor good. was in it so I could talk about it. <laughs> oh, my God. Can you imagine? What role would he play? Oh, one of the dudes. The dude with the yeah. sandwich. The, <laughs> the sandwich. He'd probably want the, the role... The, the dude that gets to bone more, <laughs> like one more sexy. or at least throw the uh, the razor blade fris- frisbee. <laughs> so good. <laughs> oh yeah, I gotta make a Andy uh, Sedaris podcast. <laughs> there you go. That you could you could do that for a long time. That's like that dude's made like sixty movies or something like that. Yeah, it definitely would not be a family friendly podcast for sure. <laughs> no. <laughs> and then they have sex, and then there's more explosions, and then they have sex, and then more people have sex, and that's the movie. It'd be really easy to do those episodes because I could just like you know follow the same plot every time. <laughs> yeah, basically. And then add some snakes. <laughs> oh, the cancer snake! I can't forget about that cancer snake. So now that this terrible titles are open, we are now in a van and inside the van is Val Kilmer. Yay. We got Val Kilmer right off the bat. Yay. And they definitely did that to make people be like, don't worry guys. He's the star. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. We know what you just saw, but Val Kilmer is in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, the guy in the back of the van, he sees a lady in white, which we know is the mom from the, uh, the opening sequence on the side of the road, but she disappears. And so now we were like, okay, now we have a ghost story. Quickly established that there's some sites that people are going to see that aren't really there. And thankfully, we have our driver of the van who helps us get all the exposition we need about these characters <laughs> by saying, hey, who are you? And tell us who, what you, why you're here. <laughs> he might as well have just been the writer. Like, honestly. <laughs> 
What are each of your names and motivations? Go. <laughs> they are apparently on an outing from a resort that they're staying at. A nice resort, according to one of the guys, but based on the van, I'm going to say no. <laughs> I'm going to say this is a very low-budget resort. I was real confused as to why this like crew was together. And I think the movie tries to explain it away by being like, well, you're a weird crew. I'm like, no, 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 movie. You don't just get to use that line and then just <laughs> explain everything. And what I was wondering as I watched, where were they going? Uh, see, I thought they were going to the resort. No, they were coming from the resort on an outing because they were all staying there. Were they all going to go to like the airport or something? I don't know, because according to the radio, there was a massive weather you know, issue coming on. And yet the, the resort sent them out in the van, which doesn't make a lot of sense to me. America. <laughs> yeah they just ignored it they're like whatever you know, we'll get through it no masks safety precautions what are you talking about American. <laughs> let's talk about our cast of characters here we've got a doctor who's attending a convention at the resort and he's played by christian baja so mr baja he is from austria and his delivery it's not good <laughs> no no i think he's the i think he might be the worst actor in the movie and I think there's a reason for that, because I looked up his background because I couldn't understand how this guy got in this movie. I get it, it's low budget. You're not going to be able to hire the highest quality actors for every role, but you can do better than this. I've seen indie films that have a better actor than this. And so when I looked up, I found out that he's not an actor. Ah. He's a finance guy, <laughs> a finance guy with a passion for film. Oh, did he put money into this movie? If you connect the dots, I'm going to say he probably gets cast in exchange for giving money because oh, it boy. cannot be for his ability as an actor. I'm going to play this right now. I don't know. I just can't be sure this wasn't because of the accident. I wanted to get him to the hospital. I honestly can't be sure. I just started my practice again. I had a problem with painkillers. It clouded my judgment. I miss things. Not the finest acting in the world. Oh, why so level acting there? <laughs> Seriously. Just wonderful. He's got a little bit of a Christoph Waltz thing happening, but like a Bobo Christoph Waltz. Like when you get Don yeah. Swayze or Frank Stallone to do your movie, like, you know, you're not getting the real thing. You're getting a knockoff of it. And, you know, it's not going to be anywhere near. He's like Christoph Waltz with like a K and an F instead of how it's supposed to be spelled. <laughs> the thing is with him, it's not just his line deliveries. He has the most awkward hand movements of anybody i've ever seen on film there's a thing where if you watch him he really seems to struggle with when he should touch people because he keeps going to touch people and then stopping and then touching them it's as if he knows he has to touch them he wants to time it just right but he's really unsure if he can do it right and so he's like back and forth with his hands because he goes to at one point comfort one of the actresses and moves out and then stops and then moves back in and it's very bizarre uh, i don't understand i remember was seeing that and just being like I, I was waiting for it to like come up at some point because i was like why did that happen why why was it that awkward movement it actually just like it it just reminds me of like when people put non-actors in movies like you have to have a really capable director mm -hmm. i i think like and that's why i think in it, when they do it in indie movies it almost always I mean, like these kinds of indie movies, not, not every indie movie, yeah. but like it almost always never works. Like it's mm -hmm. just, it, it's, they don't know what to do with their arms for, no. the, for the most part. Like, like they've never acted. They don't know what looks natural on film. It, it like reminds me of that, that episode of 30 Rock where Alec Baldwin is like trying to act in front of the, for the first time. And he's like, is it weird that I have two coffees in my hand? Like, it's just... <laughs> 
Yeah. It's not far removed. I thought maybe he had an actor's secret and that his secret was that his character is a germaphobe and doesn't really want to touch people. But then like, but he didn't, he's not telling anybody that. Just his internal motivation for the scene is that he doesn't really want to touch people. Well, yeah. And you know, he's never going to reveal that because I mean, you can't get Meryl Streep to open up about her motivation. So this guy ain't going to speak. No, I I may be giving him too much credit though. (laughs) Interestingly, before this film, he was in two pretty mediocre sequels. He was in Wall Street, Money Never Sleeps and Transformers, Dark of the Moon. Oh, is that the second one? That's, I believe, the second one. Yeah, I tr- okay. I only watched the first one. <laughs> I know yeah. Revenge of the Fallen's in there somewhere, and then there's the f- Night or whatever it's called, the last one. But he played yeah. an executive in both films, so right up his alley. <laughs> I really kind of want to go back and watch him now in those films and see what the story is. I, I've never seen the Wall Street sequel. I've actually kind of been intrigued by it, but I've also heard it's not great. Yeah, the reviews were not kind in many places. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think it was something you needed to really go back to uh, as far as sequel goes. Adam is a med student and he's played by Matt Barr, who's a TV veteran. He starred in the CBS mystery series Harper's Island and the CW cheerleading show Hellcats. And he's played a lot of single episode characters in TV all over the place. He was also in the JFK film Parkland. And he's the star of a series called Blood and Treasure, which came out just last year on CBS and actually got renewed for a second season. Have you ever heard of this show, Blood and Treasure? No, that's literally the first time I've ever heard those words together um, as part of a uh, uh, as part as part of something that aired. Yeah, I mean, I watch a good amount of television. I try to keep up on all these things. I've never heard of Blood and Treasure in my life, and the fact that it got a second season is mind blowing. It's like this, like uh, you know, Egyptian mystery, t- uh, you know, treasure hunting show. And I, if it aired, I've never heard it being aired i never heard an ad for it never saw anything about it i mean you usually see something about a show that makes it to two seasons i mean i've heard of god friended me yeah exactly uh well i mean there is a show like that there was a there was a show on like cb what is it like usa network and i think it had like bruce campbell in it or something it was like surf cops and i forget what it was called but it was it was like it's like a show that people are like listening right now being like you fucking idiot but um it was a show that like they just mentioned, and I was like, I, I, it, it was on for like eight seasons. I was like, I've never heard of that in my life. <laughs> it's amazing what gets by you. You know, you think yeah. you're on top of things, but Blood and Treasure makes it right through the second season. I mean, I probably watched. Yeah, I'd watch something called Blood and Treasure. Now, with that reputation, I don't know, though, anymore. <laughs> <laughs> the guy in the film, uh, you know, Matt, played by, uh, what was Matt Barr? Yeah. Um, he he's actually not bad in the film. He's he's probably one of the better actors in the film. Is he the younger brother? Yeah, the med student brother. Okay. Yeah, he's not too bad. No. His older brother, Isaac, is played by Luke Goss. He's become something of a regular on this show <laughs> because he starred in Kilmer's most recent film, Pay Dirt, and he's gonna be in a couple more coming up. Uh he's got some pretty big credits under his belt. He played the key antagonist in Guillermo del Toro's Blade Two and Bla- and Hellboy Two. Okay. But he's kind of settled into a role as a indie action star. This film is not in that wheelhouse in any way. His character here. No, and I knew I heard that name before. So when you mentioned those movies, I'm like, oh, like I, I can't, I couldn't tell you, I wouldn't have been able to tell you a single thing he was in. But the name Luke Goss definitely rang a bell. It's a good name for a movie star. Yeah. Especially in action. I mean, you make the natural progression from Guillermo del Toro to uh, Kevin Carraway. I mean, that's how it goes, right? In Hollywood. <laughs> That's usually how you climb the ladder for sure. <laughs> yeah. Next thing you know, he'll be with Uva Bowl and then Steven Spielberg. 
is, is Uwe Bell still making movies? No, he retired, I'm pretty sure. He went on a big rant about how people didn't fund one of his movies. He actually tweeted at us and got quite angry for reviewing one of his movies. So. Oh, yeah, you guys did Postal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think was it. I think he got mad about Alone in the Dark though. Even before um. that, so <laughs> he's, he, yeah, he doesn't like he doesn't like criticism for some reason. Uh. Yeah, he's weird about that. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a strange dude. I guess you know if I had a problem with criticism, I wouldn't make bad movies. I mean, yeah, there's always that, or like you know, take it in stride, embrace it, be Tommy Wiseau, be the bad movie guy, yeah. whatever. Now we have Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer, he plays Bill, and his wife Brooklyn is played by Bonnie Somerville. Uh, we don't have to talk too much about Kilmer yet because everybody knows about Kilmer. But Bonnie Somerville, she's another TV vet. I best remember her as the head waitress on uh, the show Kitchen Confidential. It was a one-season show uh, starring Bradley Cooper. It was an adaptation of Anthony Bourdain's book, Kitchen Confidential. It was a really good one-season series. It had John Cho in it and John Francis Daly. Fantastic cast. Really funny show. Nobody watched it. Yeah, I was going to say, I've never heard of that either. <laughs> yeah, it was on Fox. You know, they're terrible with, with good sitcoms. They tend to just, you know brush them aside and put on another reality show. So, but if you can check it out, it's really good. It's a fun show. But most people probably remember Bonnie Somerville as Ross's girlfriend, Mona on Friends, which is not my wheelhouse again. I don't watch, I was not really a big Friends fan, but I'm sure there's a lot of people like, oh yeah, Mona, I get it. You know, I, I don't know who she is. <laughs> so Bill and Brooklyn are a couple that is clearly struggling in their relationship. Oh, it's very subtle. It's very subtle. <laughs> when he asks her if she wants anything from the gas station convenience store, she replies, coffee sex would be nice once in a while <laughs> yeah they have to make sure you know that this is a marriage on the rocks and i mean you got to really pay attention the you got to read between the lines of the screenplay uh, it's, it's, it's like marriage story basically you know <laughs> <laughs> i would watch the hell out of these two in a re like a <laughs> marriage story so now at the at the convenience store, the medical student hits on Courtney, the woman working at the gas station. She's in the middle of nowhere, who is played by Rebecca DaCosta, a Brazilian model and actress, who I'm wondering how she ended up in the middle of this nowhere. I don't know what state this is in. I don't know where this is. It's just some random place. But they found a Brazilian model to work the, the register at this gas station in the middle of nowhere. She's been in a string of mostly forgettable indie films. But one caught my eye, which was really interesting. It's from uh, 2016, Wild Oats. It was made by Andy Tennant. Uh, he's the guy who directed Hitch and Sweet Home Alabama and Ever After, some pretty big rom-coms. And it actually features Shirley MacLaine, Jessica Lange, and Demi Moore and a film you've never heard of. I, but I, I feel like I've heard the title. I feel like I've heard the title, but like, that's it. Like yeah. I've heard that there was a movie called Wild Oats. But like, oh, yeah, you combine no. Combine those elements of Andy Tennant directing with <laughs> Jessica Lange, Shirley MacLaine, and Demi Moore. I don't know how films like that get made and then never seen. That's what amazes me when people fight to make their little film with just their friends. And then a film like that doesn't get seen. It's like, why am I even bothering? <laughs> and like, does, does she play like a large part in that or? No, very small part. That's mostly what she does okay. is little small parts here and there. This is probably one of her biggest uh, roles to date. Okay. So this like, is where she shot off to the, to the moon then. This is her, <laughs> her skyrocket to superstardom. Her really big break. <laughs> Yeah. After this, she did burlesque, and <laughs> I'm not going to pull up the list because it's long and boring. <laughs> not a lot of films you'll never have heard of. But what we will want to talk about is Val Kilmer's Ponytail, because once again, it makes a scene. I love that his later films are all about his ponytail. Every one of them, it feels like he's got this wild mane in the back, just a, a proud lineage of hair hanging off the back of his head. It's it really becomes a character unto itself. 
Yeah, his 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 hairstyle is always a thing to watch out for, especially as you get into the later Val Kilmer years. I have to imagine that there are no hair people on set that work on him when he goes to a movie. He shows up as Val Kilmer. I feel like people are. I feel like he has a reputation in Hollywood that I bet. I bet you when he goes on to a film set like this, everyone's afraid to tell him what to do. Mm-hmm. I'm certain of because I mean he does. He does have that reputation of, you know, having feuds with actors and being difficult with directors over the years and. I don't know if he's like, I feel like he's calmed down over the last little while because he's getting older and stuff. But I know in the 90s, he was like one of the top difficult people to work with. Yeah, he definitely has that rep. And so I think he shows up with his hair the way he wants his hair. And that's the end of the story. Nobody's telling him any different. Shoot around me. <laughs> Change the lighting. I love a film where he sh- where he shot mostly head on. And so you don't see the ponytail until suddenly he turns his head and it's like, bam, ponytail. <laughs> gets cameo i bet he gets but gets extra pay for that it's stunt pay for whipping that hair around <laughs> so bill hits on courtney and he is a cocky son of a bitch i mean his 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 wife asks if there's anybody he won't sleep with and he says he, you knew that when I, you married me what is going on with these two like how do you have a relationship where you know he's just gonna try to sleep with everything that walks yeah and i mean i mean let's just say it he's at least 15 years older than her <laughs> like, there, there is yeah there is a decent age gap here so you're also like when did they first meet because they're already married yep. so how young was she when they first got together <laughs> what was the appeal here yeah was he like a college professor or something like <laughs> well we do find out he's a lawyer which does not impress okay. Courtney. Yeah. Um, and but he will show her on Chicago when if he gets there. So again, where are we? <laughs> like, is this? Yeah. So he's from Chicago. So I mean, if they drove to the resort, maybe they are in Illinois somewhere. Maybe. I guess it's not important. We just forget about that because just like we forget about where they're going in the van in the first place. <laughs> Nondescript location. Someplace in America. <laughs> Yeah, America, USA. So the van swerves to avoid the woman in the road. She's shown up again and crashes, killing the driver. And we get this ridiculous fade out, fade in of stills of the tr- of the truck having crashed. What was the point of that? Yeah, it's like it's like the opening of like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. They have yeah. that narrator that's like <laughs> on September third, nineteen seventy four. I'm like, we know the van crashed. We saw his head in the window. It's, it's don't you don't have to do this weird stylistic uh, strobe effect with the photos. It just get, just keep going, move on. You, you, you used up all your style when you did the titles. We don't want to see that anymore. You know the term you used, get going, move on. I said that so many times in this movie. <laughs> Look, <laughs> yeah, I get it. I get it. This is the relationship. Let's progress here. <laughs> so now we got Ving Rhames. So that's an exciting moment. You know, he shows up and he's desperate to get these guys back to his house because of a CGI storm, I guess. (laughs) Oh, yeah. The sky is not good. (laughs) It's one of the I mean, that's the worst effect in the movie. Easily. It's definitely by the guys who did the titles. (laughs) If they were so impressed by the titles, they said, you need to make this storm. It's only slightly worse than the effects uh, in the opening scene of the hurricane heist. (laughs) If there had been a skull in this storm then it would have been a lot better. Oh, yeah. That was a terrible, terrible movie. Oh, but I mean, hubcaps. Throw, throwing hubcaps at people in a storm, that's pretty great. I will agree with that one. For some reason, the phones don't work. And there's obviously something up with Ving Rhames. He's a bad guy, no doubt, 100%. They, they did not even try to attempt to trick you into thinking that, 
oh, this is some kindly guy on the ro- road who found him. We went from zero to 100 on the villain scale <laughs> with Ving Rhames in this moment. Do you notice too, like when they get these names for these these kinds of movies, like these bigger names, I think almost always they're villains. Yeah, I wonder why that is. Maybe it's more juicy for them to work on instead, in, or they get to get away from the things they usually do, which is more of the you know positive people in the films. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, Val Kilmer is not the villain, but I mean, he's definitely like not a not a great guy. And like you said, Ving Rhames, as soon as he steps in and says his first line, we're like, oh, okay, the bad guy. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, and they don't even let up on it. They don't even try to convince you. Well, maybe he's good. Maybe he's bad. They get to the house and Ving is like watching Val Kilmer and his wife from the door being real creepy. He tells them he doesn't have a phone and they are stuck there. He literally just says, you are stuck here. We know you are the bad guy. Why are you trying to just, you know, not give us anything to question about this? Better to be stuck here than out there. (laughs) I will admit I liked that he bit at Kilmer, like the Top Gun scene. Oh, that's a nice little touch. I never even thought about that. That's <laughs> because doesn't he? He's because Val Kilmer mumbles something about him being a cannibal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So yeah. I, ju- I I just I just thought about that, and then now now yeah, I don't think mention it. Wow, that's great. I wonder if that was that was definitely. I I can almost guarantee you that was a thing between those two. That was not in the script. There's no way someone no. came up with that. Yeah, that was just a on the fly thing. Knowing him, and he said. I'm going to do this thing and I like it. And I like it too. Yeah. I watched it. I'll say Ving Rames doesn't really seem like he's phoning it in. No, no. He's he's acting like a villain and he's enjoying himself. He's Yeah. Especially yeah. when he tells a story. Anytime he tells a story in this film, I'm like, yep, I'll sit down here and listen to this. <laughs> you can go on as long as you like. Yeah. I mean, we, we know him as a great storyteller from Pulp Fiction and he continues that tradition in this movie. That's a real insult to combine those two, connect those two films. <laughs> I mean, Quentin Tarantino just felt something. <laughs> he just felt a little flutter in his chest for a moment. <laughs> just as good of a storyteller, not as good of a story. True. No, that's yes, that's that's a better way to put it. Okay. So Bill is very upset about Jackie, obviously, and he should be because this is a, obviously a bad guy. And his wife reminds him to take his pills. So now, now we realize something's wrong with Bill, which is a little, actually a little bit of character there. Something might actually be of interest with this character, not just a jerk. But I don't think that goes anywhere. No, it's just the pills. And then he lies down. And then I think also they said like he had a possible concussion, which was represented in the movie by the tiniest little scratch on his head. Yeah. (laughs) Because I'm assuming Val Kilmer went into the makeup chair and he was like, do exactly the bare minimum that you need to do. I'm done here. (laughs) Yeah. So the brothers are getting some drinks and Kilmer is having a flip out, which it's not Kilmer's. Uh, strongest uh, aspect of his, his acting and freaking out but it's fun to watch because he's he thinks that he hears the girl screaming the curtains are moving we're not playing around here and they all blame it on his head injury one thing i will say is that he is the worst crier in the history of film i've seen this in multiple films now he cannot cry for anything yeah and i don't even think in his in some of his better stuff that he really is given scenes with where he cries. And I think that's what probably makes that better. And that these, these directors are just like, they don't, they don't know that maybe they shouldn't give him that. His face just kind of shakes a lot. Yes. It's, yeah. it's very over the top and it's awkward to watch. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, you know, some people cry and you feel bad for them. <laughs> he cries and you're like, Ooh, should I, should I go? <laughs> <laughs> so for some reason, Adam decides to take the truck back to the gas station despite the fact that the world's worst storm is happening outside and he's like, I'm just going to take the truck. And then he sees Courtney on the side of the road 
at this point I was like, this movie is going nowhere. This there's no plot progression at all because we're just interacting between the same characters over and over with nothing happening. Yeah, it's it's just I was trying to figure. I mean, I knew it was like gonna end as soon as you know the girl in white shows up. I was like, okay, it's like a haunting or whatever. It's like a haunted house story. And then yeah, it's just people weaving in and out of rooms, having aimless conversations. When he leaves the house, I was actually like, oh, some some stuff is gonna happen. Mm-hmm. No. Nothing. We just need to draw Courtney back into the story. Yep. She couldn't have just like, I don't know, drove by herself or something. They had to like do this whole thing where she doesn't know how to check the gas in her car. (laughs) (laughs) Like She's looking at the wrong side of a car, which I mean, if you own a car, I'm pretty sure you know where the gas tank is. Yeah, that's a real stretch. (laughs) Right. And as you said, they go in and out having conversations. Brooklyn and Isaac, uh, because they keep trying to change the pairings, which I appreciate you want to have some different interactions with characters, but they don't have anything happening because Brooklyn and Isaac start talking about Isaac's mom for reasons. Yeah. There there was no organic reason for them to start talking about his mom. It really just comes out of nowhere. Yeah, she's just, doesn't she even just say like, so did you love your mom? Yeah. What? ask you that you'd be like what yeah and they're weirdly trying to i thought like i thought for the movie i I mean i guess until the point where it doesn't happen but i thought they were trying to push this other relationship too with luke goss isaac is that who it is yeah yeah isaac yep and you know val's wife they're they're trying to push this relationship and i was like what what What? why (laughs) he's still in the room freaking out (laughs) and now that courtney's back jag tells courtney i have clothes for you which is again why we're not hiding anything we because he gives her the dress from the opening of the film why wouldn't you try to build something instead of just being like well you saw this dress here now here's the dress again there's no effort to try to make this at all spooky or mysterious it's just you know where we're going with this yeah i mean they could have had ving rames take her over to where the dresses were and just give her one look quick and be like listen don't judge all right but Mm -hmm. you can use one of these if you want these are my dresses yeah or have her go through it and go and and find the dress and go oh this is pretty Instead of him offering her the dress, let her make yeah. the choice. And then this way she's maybe imbued with the essence of the wife. Cause we'll talk about what happens in the film later, what the supposed plot of the film is, which doesn't make any sense either way, but she could make that choice instead of having it forced upon her by Jack and another evidence of him being a bad person and being behind this whole plot, which really got tiresome in a big hurry in this film. Mm-hmm. Is he the villain? I, I, I'm not sure yet. <laughs> well, we'll find out. We'll find out. She preps in the mirror, you know, she's getting dressed and gets prepped. How upset were you when you saw this mirror scene that they went for the the worst trope of horror films? The person showing up in a mirror behind the person looking in the mirror. And the kid is like right there like, oh, no. (laughs) The fact that they do this twice in the film is even more upsetting. The other time I think is worse for me because I think it's the one. Is it not the time or maybe it's a fake out, but there's one where she's like pick. She picks up a bar of soap and she literally (laughs) just goes, oh, it slipped out of my hand. And then, like, slowly <laughs> leans over, gets it, and comes back up into the frame. Like, that is the worst fake reason for someone to dip out of the frame. Yeah. If you did it once, you cannot do this again. I'm sorry. No. You're being obvious to a point that you're going to make me turn this film off. If I didn't have to watch it for the for the show, I would never have finished this film. <laughs> yeah, no. If, if I had encountered this movie independently for some reason, I don't know why, but like you know, just saw it and tried to watch it. Yeah, I probably would have. Uh, as soon as Val leaves the film, I probably would have been it for me. <laughs> Speaking of Val, Courtney finds Bill freaking out. She's in her dress now, and he's losing his mind in the bed. And then we hear a scream from upstairs, and they find Bill's dead. 
And I'm like, this is it for Val Kilmer? Are you serious? This is the end of the film? Is him dying in this bed? 35 minutes. <laughs> I have to admit, it's a bit more than a lot of the films we've watched recently on the show. There's somewhere he's in the film, maybe 10 minutes. Yeah. So 35 is a heck of a run <laughs> for, for a film like this. You could argue, though, like in the first 35 minutes, he's maybe in 10 minutes. Mm, true. There are lots of scenes where he's not. And I mean, man, uh, no wonder he agreed to do this movie. For much of it, he's just laying in a bed. <laughs> <laughs> you mean I have to lay in the bed? I'm cool. Yeah, let's roll the cameras. <laughs> it's like Marlon Brando in uh, Island of Dr. Moreau. I just got to sit here the whole time. Cool. Cool by me. <laughs> do you mind if I use this little guy? I just found him on set. He's going to be my uh, assistant. What do you mean it's not in the script? Well, it is now. <laughs> so the doctor our wonderful friend mr baja doesn't remember the marks on Val Kilmer's neck the fact that this guy has been on major motion pictures before is truly stunning you think you pick up some element of acting just by osmosis by hanging around actors by watching what they're doing and saying oh that's what you do but no he has no ability to pick up anything everything is so wooden yeah i mean i just recently saw the 1517 to paris and those three leads are not good at all. And they're not actors and they're terrible in the movie, but I think they are, they're better than the doctor. <laughs> like, I think they're better than him. And that was their only movie they ever did. And he, yeah, like you said, he's been around actors. Like you'd think he'd like take notes or something. Yeah. I get it. That like, if you put him in a film with a bunch of amateurs, I don't, maybe you'd get away with it and you'd say, well, he's speaking in a second language. Maybe it's, you know, his delivery makes sense for that. But when you put him against actors who we know are good actors, Bonnie Somerville, Val Kilmer, Ving Rhames, it makes it so much worse. And, you know, and you just, you have to wonder what they're thinking besides the fact that he wrote, probably wrote their paychecks and just say like, why are you here? Yeah. I, I, I can't imagine Val Kilmer was probably in a mood to help coach anyone, but I mean, yeah, you have other actors. I mean, indie actors, but ones that have done plenty of stuff that could have said something. Maybe they're also just afraid to criticize because he is the money guy. Yeah, that would make a lot of sense. You know, I, <laughs> maybe I, the producer again, was like, "That guy, by the way, that guy there, right there, he gets no direction. Just <laughs> let him go. Like he is funding this entire two hundred dollar project." <laughs> And I mean, again, I'd have no evidence that he paid for this film, and that's why he's in the film. So no uh, defamation here, but it really feels like that's why he's here. <laughs> We're suggesting that it might be the case. Might be. So the group starts accusing each other of murder, as you do when there's a bunch of people in the house where somebody's been killed and nobody knows mm -hmm. why. And then we find out the truck has been tampered with. So things are just going off the rails at this point. And then the power goes out. It's like, what are you going to do next to these people? Let us pause for a moment and deal with what we have going on here. But we do get that moment, actually. Unfortunately, it's between Adam and Dr. Lipsky. Oh, like, right. That's shot from like... From another room. Yeah, why is that shot from so far away? It's like, is that is that the film? Is that Mr. Carraway being like, this is my Pulp Fiction uh, reference. <laughs> Got to get that PF reference in again. There are so many points where he does things like that, where you're like, you don't really know what you want out of this film. You're just throwing together different references that you saw, uh, different ideas you like. Yeah. And you just go with it. it. It looked cool to him. He just didn't. He clearly doesn't know why it's good. He just knows that it looks good. So he just duplicates it as yeah. any other uh, talented filmmaker would do. <laughs> so Adam and Lipsy talk about Bill and they also talk about the fact that Dr. Lipsky, as we heard in his clip before, that he has a problem with painkillers, <laughs> yeah. which means again, nothing. No, 
it's it's all padding it never comes back he never like he doesn't he did like he died i mean spoiler alert he dies later but like he doesn't od or anything like he does they could have made it something like that i don't know or somebody else gets killed with painkillers or something like that and then they like wait he did it but no yeah it's just another oh you know pills are a problem (laughs) and now we have two characters who are on pills so and they both die Maybe it's an anti-drug film. It could be. Maybe Ving Rhames is like a big activist and that's why he agreed to do so much to this movie. <laughs> I will say, I often on this show, I give filmmakers a lot of credit that they don't deserve. And so, hey, you know, take it with a grain of salt. We do get to see Adam and Dr. Lipsky carry Bill's body out to the barn with Jackie. And again, talking about mothers. And like, nobody wonders, why are we doing this, this conversation? Now, if, once you get to the end of the film, you kind of understand what this is all about from some angle mm-hmm. because of, of what happened in the house. But in the moment, would you say something weird is happening here? Yeah, it's, and I don't understand, like, cause they're accusing each other and stuff as soon as, you know, Bill dies. And I mean, within a good five minutes, if that, they're just moving on to other stuff. Like they're not, <laughs> they don't even care anymore. No, there's a moment next that comes up where Brooklyn hears the kids. And she gets gra- she sees a kid next to the bed and then gets grabbed under the bed. Now that's a that's a pretty scary moment, and it's actually done pretty well in the film. I, I appreciate that. She fights to get away from him, and then next scene is fine. There's no no. I just almost got grabbed by a ghost. I like there were two kids in my room and they grabbed me. There's nothing. She's just you know placid, and I'm like, what's going on with <laughs> these people? Aren't living in this moment? It, if it's not really them, it can't be real to us. Yeah, and I think. I think later in the movie, they kind of all are like coming to grips with stuff they saw. And that's when she mentions it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why were you holding on to it until like the big group conversation? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, that's something I would have run down the hall and screaming. I just got grabbed by a ghost. Yeah, exactly. As crazy as that may sound, there are other crazy things happening in the house that people maybe uh, will, you know, believe you. And now we find out that this is the worst storm to hit in 100 years. And I don't feel bad for anybody about that. What I feel bad for is Ving Rhames, because he has to deliver some of the worst dialogue in the history of film in this movie. There were lines in here where I go, didn't he ask, what am I doing? Didn't he say, do I really have to say this line? <laughs> He's already like, just uh, let me check here. Oh, uh, check cleared. All right. <laughs> So uh, this is the worst storm in a hundred years. <laughs> I admit he's done some bad films for sure over his career. Yeah. He's done a lot of bad films over his career, a lot of great films, but a lot of bad ones. But you have to have some like moment where you're looking at another actor, another person in your profession, another person who has tried to become, you know, the best you can be at this art and saying these lines to them and not saying to yourself, my soul is dead. His soul was dead, as we learn later in the film. Oh, God, maybe that's just... what he was playing to. So it's an actor secret again. Very. There, there I, you I, go. We cannot let everybody get away with this. <laughs> you figured it out. The movie is off the hook. Five stars. <laughs> so Adam gets in bed with Courtney, and they talk about the boy she saw and the woman he saw and ghosts and all that. And I'm like, are we going to get a sex scene here? Because you know we already had one at the beginning. Why not get another one? I would have been less uncomfortable if they just had a sex scene because this scene was, I don't know what it was, but they just, lo- <laughs> they just both looked not happy to be there and they were too close. Too close. Face to face in bed. It was just really strange. 
nobody lays face to face in bed. <laughs> I'm sorry. No. It does not happen. No. It's very bizarre to do that. I mean, and face to face as in their nose is basically touching. <laughs> you can't focus. Doesn't she also say like when he climbs the bed, she's like, don't get any ideas. Yeah. Except put your face against my face. Also, she's known him for one day. Maybe a couple hours if you add it all up. An afternoon and an evening. She also got into a car with him after mm-hmm. meeting him at a store as a customer. Yeah. So, I mean... <laughs> she doesn't make the best decisions. No. <laughs> Isaac finds Jackie out in the barn chopping wood, and they talk about loneliness and issues with Isaac's brother. Again, I don't... Un- what? It's frustrating to me. I don't get the part in this scene where he says to Jack, or Jackie or whatever, he says, uh, you, have a, you have the ability to sense things, don't you? I'm like, what? And then his reaction is, cool. <laughs> Because he knew there was a storm coming. By the way, you can look that up on a weather report. You don't have to know how to sense things. Yeah. Like, I don't know what he was referring to, but I was just like, you can't just say you know how to sense things. And then we're like, oh, okay, cool. He knows how to sense things. We accept this because he said it as a line in the movie. Well, I assume this is the effort to make this film part of the Shining cinematic universe. <laughs> I can only hope. Scatman Jackie. Is it, are you saying this, 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 follows, uh, this follows Dr. Sleep or is this yeah. between the this two? Is, this is between the two. <laughs> okay. Cool. Ewan McGregor <laughs> shows up at the end of this movie and he's like, I'm putting together a team. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Oh, you know, I guess that wouldn't work at the end of this film. <laughs> we'll get there we'll get there we get a series of tension building moments here uh, as the group looks around the house running into the ghosts and you know adam finds jackie's shrine to the family yes and again here's our moment where jackie gets to tell us the story of the history of the house and adam says i gotta go tell everybody and jackie laughs like he's going to kill him the most malevolent laughter you've ever heard from somebody oh you're gonna go tell people you're gonna die and the next scene goes and tells everybody. Jackie tells them. I never even thought about that. <laughs> I just remember the laugh and like somehow then everyone knew about it. Yeah, it, it's just like everybody, I feel like they got a different editor for each scene. It makes sense that there would be more than one editor because they weren't talking to each other and just cutting scenes randomly and putting them together in ways that make no sense for the plot line. Because yeah, he laughs so much like the devil and then just goes and tells everybody the same history that he just told Adam. Makes no sense. Yeah, the scenes like don't flow into each other at all. Like you could watch, you could, I mean, you probably know by the actors need like the aesthetic, but taking that out of the equation, you could watch a scene, you know, tw- 20 minutes in and then and then <laughs> watch a different scene, I don't know, an hour and 10 minutes in and be like, oh, two different movies. Yeah, absolutely. Like, don't know. No, yeah, just they all come as if the house wasn't there, you would not know that these were in the same film in a lot of places. Exactly. Especially then when Lipsky is killed because... <laughs> At this point, now we have two people dead. So what do we do? Let's go out into the forest. Okay, I had to rewind the movie at this point because I looked away for like a second. And I looked back up and all of a sudden it was like a foggy forest, yeah. which the fakest woods ever, they had oh, like yeah. six trees and then put a ton of fog. And I was like, when did they end up in the forest? And I rewound it and I was still confused because it just cut to that. Like it yeah. was just running through the woods. My question was, they took a road to get to the house, right? Yeah. Why not take the road back to where they were coming from? Oh, there's no fog down there. What's the fun in that? <laughs> it's so dumb. It's so dumb. I mean, I get it that the fo- uh, a foggy forest has you know atmosphere that you want for a horror film, but you need to connect these things in some way, especially when the fog disappears at times. Oh, you mean the continuity of the fog isn't 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 great? It's not pristine, I would say. <laughs> 
Yeah, and knowing how loud those fog machines are, the ADR is pretty bad here too. Yes, yes, it is. Because <laughs> you know that none of that was recorded on, on the day. Oh, no way. No, not in a forest, not with this film crew, not, not with the way they're doing things. It's it just like, hey, let's just record a line later on. We'll deal with it later. <laughs> Fix it in post. Never say that. It's bad. Don't do it. So Brooklyn in the forest sees the McKnight wife, and then she's gone. And then they decide, you know what? You know what we should do? We, we've already left the house into this fog-filled forest. Let's split up. It's the best idea. That's a terrible trick in all horror films. <laughs> but in here, it's even worse because, again, they don't know who each other is. This Courtney is a random person who showed up from the gas station. You got these two brothers you've met at this resort. None of these people have known each other very long. And yet mm -hmm. they're like, you know what? Let's just split up and, and go our own ways. It's better. And from my understanding, whenever anybody is getting killed they are alone in the room so they are all they are all going to be alone and potentially all but one getting killed so yes yeah. it's the worst possible plan could orchestrate and of course that's exactly what happens because brooklyn yeah. is looking around and sees somebody that she knows oh it's you and she's killed terrible and when that scene happened, for some reason, and I, I am not giving the credit to this movie because I don't know if this is true or not, but it really reminded me of a scene from the original Friday the 13th movie. Yep. There's the scene where um, it's like Mr. Christie or whatever, the guy who runs the camp. He has he dies like almost the exact same way. Like he looks at the camera and says, oh, it's you. How'd you get, what are you doing out here in this mess? And gets stabbed off camera. Mm -hmm. And I was like, are they referencing that? Like, I don't know, but it seemed very similar. I also think it happened in Clue. Okay. I, I think there's a scene, if I remember, oh, it's you and she gets shot. I think it's the, the maid. Okay. So it's like, oh, we're just going to keep doing this in 2012. Why not? It hasn't proven itself to be tired over the last 30 years. Let's do it again. Yeah, it worked. It worked twice. It'll work the third time. I realized at this point, did you notice that Courtney was not in the same outfit she left the house in? I did not, but that makes a lot of sense. She was in the white dress in the house. And then when they oh, go into yeah. the forest, she's in the, the leather jacket with the red top and the jeans. Yeah, no, I remember the red top. Yeah, that, that is, I mean, you know, the fog makes you do crazy things. As in like, we're, we need to get out of this house, but give me a moment so I can get out of this dress, put on yeah. my clothes, and then get back out into the forest. Yeah, let me change first. We'll, we'll explain all of it in post. Don't forget to put that voiceover in, Mr. Caraway. I'll tell editor number 47 to do it. <laughs> So they're running around the forest, you know, trying to figure out what's going on. I don't know what the plan was going out into the forest. Were they supposed to leave? Were they going to find help? Because they seem like that there's no real motivation to them doing this. I mean, I'm assuming in the view of the film, they're trying to go get help, but it's not conveyed like they just are just running around <laughs> like it's some of the most aimless running around especially when they all separate i'm like what's everyone doing <laughs> and then yet they all arrive back at the house right because they go in a circle the mcknights are having dinner and there's lipsky and there's jackie and he's the butler what? this is your home <laughs> again ving rame stuck with the worst lines at this point i did not know what was going on anymore. Nope. I was completely lost. And then Val Kilmer shows up again for like a shot. Yes. <laughs> I was like, Bill's back. Yay. And then he's gone again. I'm sure he wasn't happy to do that additional shot though. <laughs> Can you imagine if they had to call him back for the reshoot for that? <laughs> oh, shit. We, we, we've got Lipsky and Jackie, but we need you there. <laughs> Wait, no, I'm not coming back. We'll give you another $5,000. All right, fine. Can I wear my ponytail? <laughs> 
if that hair and makeup woman comes near me again, I swear to God, I'm walking. And then we find out Brooklyn's not dead, which amazes me. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. The amount of She's blood like, that's on her. How did she survive? Because she needed to crawl through the woods in this scene that is uh, completely unnecessary to the film. Did you notice that Isaac runs off at this point, just randomly off into the woods again? It, wait, is this where he turns around and, and sees the kid or is this before that? This is before that. Okay. Brooklyn comes up, she's covered in blood and Isaac just takes off. Oh, oh okay. Okay. And then Adam has to go looking for him again. I'm like, didn't we just do this? <laughs> Weren't we just in the forest? Why are we doing this? And then Isaac finds the boy. So, okay. Maybe Isaac was going off to confront whoever stabbed Brooklyn. Again, I think what you're saying is correct, but I don't think it's conveyed. I think that might have been what they had in their mind, but they didn't put it to paper or film. You could have easily solved this problem with maybe one line. And like he could have just said, somebody stabbed her. I got to go find them. You know, like that would have been yeah. it. Like you're Luke Goss. I buy that. Not a, not a great line, not a great reason for leaving, but a reason. <laughs> Something to continue this plot. And so and he finds Courtney out in the woods and it's like, Okay, so this isn't Shyamalan for sure. <laughs> we have no twists here. We know exactly what happened in this film. The problem is none of it makes sense. I thought you were going to say uh, it's like a reverse village where they come out of the woods, but it's actually it's actually a period piece the whole time. <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> for some reason. I would have the... accepted that. <laughs> I mean, that just leaves me with more questions, but I, I'd enjoy that anymore more than this for sure because adam then shows up after chasing isaac and finds the family graves along with graves for each of the people in the new group and i'm like mm -hmm. okay so they're gonna murder all the people and jackie starts talking about the cycle of death the cycle of carnage he goes on about this for 10 minutes. It feels like 10 minutes. And, and essentially, and when, when, okay, I don't, and maybe I'm skipping ahead too much, but like it, during his whole speech here, he even says like, you know, I have many names. I'm like, oh, he's the devil. That's what I said. I was like, this is the devil, right? No. no. I'm no. Of destiny. <laughs> yeah, I have many names. You probably know me as the agent of destiny. I'm like, no, I don't. What does that mean? Nobody's ever heard that before. <laughs> What are you talking about? I feel like this guy read like a, the, the, the writer of this movie read like a text that he really loved. And he was like, man, all this stuff that everyone knows about, I'm going to put it into this movie. And people were just like, no one knows what that is, dude. Like 10 people read that book. We don't know what you're referencing. However, it does give us the best moment of this film for all the wrong reasons, but the best moment when Ving Rhames talks like a child. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I'm so glad. I'm so glad it was just him doing that. Oh yeah. I, I'm so glad. I'm so glad they they didn't uh, Betsy Palmer didn't have like the kids speak over uh, <laughs> speak over her voice when she's going <laughs> up to Jason. Like I, I'm really happy that Bing Rames just went all out with that. Sarah, Sarah. I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> this is, makes this whole film worth it. If the whole movie had been like that. A1. Imagine Ving Rhames just talking in a little child's voice for the whole movie. And then even, even more egregious would be like, why doesn't anyone think this is weird? Yeah, just let it play out and nobody questions it at all. 
I would watch that movie. I would watch this movie again if that was happening in this movie. That's I was the servant. And apparently the whole thing is about reincarnation because Adam is Sarah and who I'm trying to figure out who's Courtney because I think there's more people than there were in the house originally. I, I was trying to figure out all the math and that's a problem. If you're watching a film and you're in basically the climax of the film and you're still thinking about math, something going very wrong. Is Courtney supposed to be the kid? I think so. Yeah, I think okay. because in the end, well, we'll get, you know, we'll get to that. But the body, like the, the soul goes out of Courtney, that black smoke thing that happens. And so apparently she's supposed to be the kid. But I didn't quite get like I was, I was sitting here like, OK, so this per- I actually started drawing a, a chart to try to like draw lines from people to people. Oh, wow. and, like, and I'm like, again, this movie has lost me. If I'm over here doing a chart instead of paying attention to what's happening in the movie. Maybe the writer, but maybe the writer, you know, he had that in mind. He's like, maybe, maybe he wants people to make their charts. Maybe <laughs> it's in their interactive that way. Guys, this is the scene where people are going to make their charts. Maybe we can make a whole contest out of it. See what yeah. people think. You know, what we do while they're making their charts. Let's replay all the killings. <laughs> yes. And, and we'll put Courtney in the scenes and this way they can make the lines oh yeah this is that one and this one that one perfect it's like having an answer key right in the film <laughs> guys why don't we just get them to write the plot for us why are we even writing a script <sighs> this ending takes forever uh, it, oh on, no it yeah it just it's goes monologue on. it goes on and on and on and then the kid stabs jackie for some reason I don't know what the motivation was there. And then they both turned into like a gas monster or smoke monster or whatever. just disappeared. And so Courtney survives apparently along with uh, Adam. And then we get this final scene, which I guess is supposed to set up eight below. The Paul Walker sled dogs movie. (laughs) I actually thought about that originally. And I was like, you know, this is the, that's the sequel to this film. Obviously it all ties together. Everything matches up (laughs) perfectly because the final scene Adam and Courtney are married. She's in the kitchen chopping vegetables and she's like loses her train of thought. And then she sees the kid outside the window and she goes and takes the knife and starts going after Adam. What was the point of this? I mean, I don't understand. Cause she, they, she seemingly beat it. Yeah. Like she beat this. They got the spirit out of her from her stabbing herself. Um, mm-hmm. The spirit then, stabbed jackie like you said that made no sense and then disappeared and then i guess the spirit went back in her when she survived so what was the point of any of that uh 95 minutes gotta pad that film <laughs> it really was dumb it was just like it made the entire ending of the film meaningless it's just like it, we you gotta have your cliffhanger you gotta do it you gotta leave it open it really hurt my soul <laughs> It's not as egregious. There is, okay, I'll, I'll, just a side note for a moment. There is a movie I saw. I don't know if you ever heard of a movie called Muck. No, no, I've never seen that. It's one of the worst things I've ever seen, but <laughs> it, it's so egregious. The worst sequel tease ever is that it literally ends in the middle of the movie. No joke. Like, what? it there there's a big action scene with a bunch of, like, I don't know, hill people or whatever, <laughs> and <laughs> they're fighting, and then all of a sudden, you know, one of them swings at one of the main characters, and he knocks them down, and then they're like, here we go, guys, here we go. Cut, and then it says, um, come back for Muck 2, which still hasn't happened. That was, like, five years ago. It, it ends in the middle of the movie, so at least it's not that. <laughs> that, that, that would be a lot more frustrating, although this <laughs> is bad. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's terrible. <laughs> That's awful. It's awful ending. So can I ask you, what does seven below mean? I still don't know. I, uh, was there seven of them? 
I I was trying to figure that out, and I don't. I mean, I guess when you add in Jackie, there's okay. seven. Uh, but without Jackie, are they in hell? It's possible, but there's no reference to it at any point in the film. No, because when we think he said, when we think he's going to tell us he's the devil, he doesn't. No, <laughs> he's the agent of destiny. Hmm. Below, maybe they're below. I got it. I got it. I figured it out. It, they're below the Mason Dixon line. So this is a Southern Gothic story. There you go. Yep. Solved it. And nobody has an accent. Yeah, of course. Why not? <laughs> I mean, they're traveling there. They're not from there, right? Oh, very true. Although the family yeah. didn't have one in the beginning in the, in the first part of the film. Um, it was a different time. <laughs> there were no Southern accents back then. <laughs> no, Southern accents were uh, innovated by um, Dr. Edward Zerberg. I, I really, like you said, believe this film had something to do with the Arctic when it was seven below and even the poster art is all like blue and cold. So I was like, Oh, this is definitely going to be something in the Arctic. And there's actually a a Kilmer film that we'll cover later in the series called the thaw, which, so I really connected those two. I was like, Oh, he did make two of these movies. No, he didn't. He made a film that made no sense and was a total waste of our time. It it would be funny if the thaw was also not about the Arctic. (laughs) I'm pretty sure it is. But if I, when I get to it, I will let you know. (laughs) <laughs> just someone maybe it was someone being cryogenically frozen and uh coming back in the future i'm shocked this was not like i'm actually so glad that i went to this cold not knowing anything because oh, yeah i i thought it was an arctic movie like you said i thought it was maybe a a, a story about survival like people mm-hmm. having to like struggle to survive after like an accident or something that's why even when the van crashed i was like oh but then they had the supernatural stuff at the beginning so but no. <laughs> no. I'll resolve for not. Is there anything we haven't covered about this film that you you want to talk about? One thing I do want to mention early in the movie is the uh, the delivery of one of the lines from uh, the daughter like in the opening scene. Mm-hmm. Um when the when the mother comes in and you know she's kind of bruised up cuz she's just been hit like really brutally by the cheating husband and mm-hmm. one of the daughters just says like mother, you need to be more careful. Oh yeah. You know, it's she's, really judgmental about her mom. She's a child of like eight or nine and she, she seems to know everything. Yes. I mean, just like a lot of the reactions in this movie. I mean, we kind of talked about the acting, but like, I feel like no one reacts to anything. Like Courtney even says at one point that her father shot her mother and then shot himself. And Adam's like, oh, drag. <laughs> Nobody cares about anything in this film. It's all just rolls off their back and they just keep moving on even though the film itself doesn't move on. <laughs> right, it just lingers on non-reactions to things that people should be freaking out about all the time. Yeah. The second one person dies in this house, everybody should be on edge. Everything yeah. should be freaking people out. And nothing does. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it, nothing about, the, like this was written by aliens, like it, it seems like. <laughs> Nobody that wrote this movie knows how human beings interact with each other or say things. Like it's just it's so unnatural theory baja is an alien and he's making these movies and that's why he can't act like a human being he's learning about humanity through these movies (laughs) perfect you solved it and he's taking control of michael bay and oliver stone yeah that makes sense well at least late era oliver stone (laughs) because oliver stone seems to have lost his touch in the last uh 15 years yeah it's not going well (laughs) gonna say i can't even think of a good i mean the snowden movie was pretty good yeah that's more uh, just of course than anything else though 
True. So we talked a lot about the film, but let's hear from the man himself. It's time for a reading from the Book of Val. So our reading today comes from Val Kilmer's memoir, I'm Your Huckleberry. Shockingly, there's no chapter about Seven Below. What? You'd be really surprised to find that, I know. Uh, In fact, the film is never once mentioned in the entire book, but he did have this to say. Reality kept demanding I get gigs that paid. I haven't counted how many movies I've made. I don't want to, because for a long period of time, I had to make movies for money. There are worse things I could have done. Yet I have here described myself as a man with lofty goals, and I have a solid two decades worth of work that I describe as less than lofty. On the other hand, I was blessed that in this extended period, more than a few scintillating scripts came my way. When they did, I grabbed them. Thanks be to Val. And one of those was Seven Below. (laughs) He grabbed hold, pulled his ponytail back, and said, let's do this. Ving Rames? All right. He called up Ving. He's like, are we in? surprisingly ving rames i mean this is 2012 right so he's like he's an established name he's a Mm -hmm. people know who he is he's he's basically in this whole movie he already had done mission impossible (laughs) yeah i mean he's in he's in the franchise during this time yeah wild (laughs) he was just in one of the best action movies of the year like two years ago mission the the last mission impossible movie Mm -hmm. so I mean, at least in my opinion, anyway. Yeah, it's a great film. But uh, yeah, it's it's crazy that uh, I'm glad he hasn't. I'm glad he hasn't like really faltered. Like he's just he just kind of goes back and forth. He's like Danny Trejo. He does whatever he needs to do. Yep, pay the bills. <laughs> now that we've we've decided how we feel about this film, which is pretty clear, <laughs> let's hear from some other people. Come, children, let's explore the kills and valleys. So, kills and valleys, the best and worst reviews of this film. As the film went straight to video, reviews are scarce. You know, that often happens with the straight to video stuff. In fact, the film isn't even listed on Metacritic and it has no critic reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. I found a few home video reviews, starting with uh, Justin Felix at dvdtalk.com, which is where I used to write. Seven Below surprises in its almost complete lack of energy and suspense. It's been a while since I've been this bored by a horror flick. Somewhere in the cinematic affair is the ghost of a good idea, but Kevin Carraway's production fumbles from start to finish without catching it. That's a pretty succinct way of putting it. Yeah, yeah, he summed it up really well. And then we've got Michael Rubin of Blu-ray.com. There's not one thing to recommend in Seven Below. It's not eye candy. It's not a sound demo. And the story, if you can call it that, is dull and meandering. If you must have this disc, the technical merits can't be faulted. But don't come crying to me that you wasted your time and money. Again, I... It it is interesting too that he said there's no eye candy because I mean I think that's another thing too is that the lighting in this movie is really bad. Everyone looks horrible. Yes. Like everyone is horribly lit and they look and I mean nothing against them their their you know their looks in general personally yeah, but yeah. they all look like shit. I do yeah. say there is one thing I can recommend about Seven Below and it's Ving Rhames' child voice again. Yep. It's something you must watch at some point to find out you know, what uh, what Ving Rhames can really do with his range. <laughs> find that clip on YouTube. I'm sure I'm, it's well, somebody might have posted it. It's got to yeah. be out there. Since not many critics weighed in on this film, let's take a look at how the film fared with the unwashed masses on Amazon. There are just 56 reviews <laughs> and just 30% of them are five stars. Oh. Yeah. What's odd is that the vast majority of them are just one or two words in all caps. <laughs> like, excellent. <laughs> Good movie. Very pleased. <laughs> I don't believe those are real reviews. By D. Caraway, uh, <laughs> Val K. <Kay. laughs> yeah, and there's all, um, this one I struggle to believe is legitimate. As Jeff wrote, wonderful movie. Oh, wow, I love it. <laughs> that feels like a review that was written at gunpoint. 
Oh, Jesus. I don't know what to type. I don't know what to type. Oh, wow, I love it. There, I did it. Okay, don't kill me. <laughs> Only one of the five-star reviews went into any detail, and it was titled, Seven Below, What a Ride! Two exclamation points. Man, this movie is hella ignorant. I don't know how that's a positive to start with, but very funny and entertaining to watch while you're high or drunk. Ving Rhames was great as the villain. Shame on the people who gave this a bad review. You guys are crazy and just don't understand the storyline at all. So apparently the problem was we didn't get high before watching this. Oh, see, I feel like I would hate it more if I did. <laughs> I feel like I, I feel like I feel like it would make time go by even slower, oh and God, I think imagine. it would make me angrier yeah. that I wasn't understanding it. And then I'd have to watch it again. And then when I watch it sober, I realize that I didn't need to watch it sober. And it's actually that confusing. I, I feel like that's a bad, bad advice. But if you were high and you heard Ving Rhames as a child, that would be pretty good. <laughs> it would be pretty good, but you have to get through a lot to get there. A whole lot, yes. <laughs> In some sort of cinematic yin-yang, 30% of the reviews were also just one star. And these reviews were not kind to Val Kilmer at all. Oh. But the title of this one was, Watching This Will Make You Sad. <laughs> God and baby Jesus help me. This was an abysmal movie. Around the 11 minute mark, I knew I was in big trouble if I continued to watch. And there was a glimmer of hope that it might be one of those so good it's bad type of movies. But no, it wasn't. It was just bad. And it got worse. I know this because I kept watching, which is a decision I now have to live with. (laughs) Don't make the same mistake I did. This is so bad. So very bad that I truly believe I will regret the time I spent watching it until the day I die. That is uh, scathing, to say the least. Here are some notes on Kilmer from the reviewers. Val Kilmer, who is a good actor, can't even steal a scene from the cadavers he's sharing the screen with. Oh. How could he with a script like this? He has nothing to say. None of them do. Here's another one. What the F is up with Val Kilmer's hair? How is he going to get movie roles when his character has to have hair down to his ass? That alone limits him. Who wears a ponytail now? At least what Wait man? <laughs> well, that, that they no, that's uncharted. That's that's restricted territory right there. That you don't go after Val Kilmer's hair. Seriously, that's a, that's blasphemy. That's that's one of the two good parts of that movie, <laughs> that being his hair and Ving Rhames' baby voice. <laughs> that's on the back of the box. Yeah, under, under special features. Just just a super cut of all the hair and Bing Rain's doing his little kid voice. I would love if they did one of these like one of these movies that clearly people these people do for a paycheck and somehow convince them to do to do a full length audio commentary. Mm. Just I just love Al Kilmer just like, talk about this. Uh, I wasn't here. I wasn't here for this scene. Uh, my character's dead at this point. <laughs> Let's just talk about other stuff. <laughs> yeah. I've been doing a lot of painting. Uh... <laughs> Here's another one. Val Kilmer with his anast- <laughs> Sorry. anachronistic ponytail keeps putting nails in his cinematic coffin. Oh. It's so bad. Kilmer likewise had a bad role. One where acting was optional. People are cruel on Amazon for sure. No one there to, uh, no one there to confront, right? Yeah. It's a good old internet. So we have a decision to make. <laughs> oh, God. With or without Val. Does Val Kilmer make or break this film? I mean, I don't think he's enough of an entity in this movie to really make a dent either way. Yeah, I think the only thing he really does for this film is trick people into watching it. 
That's true. Well, then maybe he breaks it then because it's it's his fault that he's in this movie. <laughs> so that would that would make someone want to watch it, and then of course they feel the misery of watching it, and then jump on Amazon. Yeah, <laughs> I'd have to say if if anything makes this film, it's Ving Rhames. Yeah. If you if you took him out of this film, it would not be a film. <laughs> there would you took that performance out, this would just be a, a ad audition reel, maybe. Mm-hmm. You know, thankfully, he is there to entertain us with, again, his baby voice. Best part. Best part. Best part of this film. It's like 25 seconds of the entire movie. <laughs> and it comes at the very end. It's like, yeah. we waited for this. You're like, oh, wait a second. I'll take an hour of this. So that's it for this episode of KilmerCast. And I'd like to thank you, Brendan, and apologize to you for putting you through this. Do you have anything you'd like to plug? Uh, yeah, I got a couple of uh, podcasts. Uh, by the way, uh, no need for an apology. I've seen uh, Postal, so I, I've been through worse <laughs> movies. Um, but uh, yeah, no, <laughs> this is a yeah. So I have a couple podcasts. I have a podcast called uh, What Were They Thinking, which of course I mentioned at the top. Uh, we talk about bad, questionable movies. You can find us on any of the podcatchers, uh, or you can go to www.ttpodcast.podbean.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at www.ttpodcast. I also have a uh, podcast that's like the complete opposite of that called for screen and country and it's about the uh, british film institute's top 100 british films of all time hmm. uh, and you can find that one on all the you know all the podcast platforms and we're on twitter at bfi underscore pod and they're both on facebook you search for them you'll find them cool I would like to plug Monster in My Closet. It's an effects and design studio in New Jersey. It's operated by a highly talented artist named Jeremy Sellenfriend. You've seen his work on TV and movies, including the shows Blacklist, Elementary, and most recently Evil. You can check out some of his amazing work at monsterinmycloset.com. But please be aware, it is not for the faint of heart. He does some pretty gruesome stuff, and it's really awesome. So check it out. In our next episode, we'll be looking at the relatively forgotten Kilmer film, the 1989 drama Kill Me Again. In the meanwhile, please email any thoughts, questions, or comments to KilmerCast at gmail.com and follow the show on Twitter at KilmerCast. For myself and my guest, Brendan, thank you for listening, and remember to keep it Kilmer. Hey!